we allow ourselves to become curious, we can take it a step further. We can say, hey, well, tell me about your experience. What I see on the news, how do you feel about that? Do you ever fear being pulled over? I mean, are you law-abiding? Yes, I'm law-abiding. Have I been pulled over and feared for my life? Yes. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. So, choose to be curious. What exactly does that mean? I was at Clarendon Day earlier this fall asking people. Sorry, can I talk to you guys about curiosity? Uh, sure, what is curiosity? Well, I was going to ask you that. Hmm. <laughs> Choosing to be curious would mean to me always being a learner. Very cool. And what now? Ask questions. Yeah. Yeah, when I say choose to be curious, what does that mean to you? Something that's going to cause me to do something I don't need to be doing. Uh oh. <laughs> you subscribe to the It Killed a Cat, huh? <laughs> it means to continue learning new things, uh, to expand your own horizons and, and have interest in other areas that you're not proficient in so that you can continue to grow as a person. Trying to be aware of your environment, um, trying to be aware of what goes, around, what, what goes on around you. It's a really big question. I guess it means to keep an open mind about what you see in the world and accept that the way you believe things to be isn't necessarily true. Realize the way you see things isn't necessarily true, or maybe isn't necessarily the only way to see things. That's what we're going to talk about today. If ever there was an argument for respectful curiosity, for choosing to be curious, today's conversation is it. I want to talk about curiosity and racism. Here's my thesis. Isms and phobias Racism, xenophobia, sexism, homophobia, they're all a result of profound lack of curiosity. They come from a place of being so sure we already know, a place of not being willing to ask or able to ask questions, of not being willing to explore differences without making a big old set of judgments along with that. So what would happen if we chose to be curious about race and our own potential racism? For some years now, volunteers here in Arlington have offered a course called Challenging Racism. It brings people together over many weeks to have conversations and share stories in an effort to unearth and break down racial barriers. I think it's a brave and important enterprise, and I feel very fortunate to be part of a class this year. I've invited two people who are deeply involved in the program to join me today. Marty Swaim is a longtime D.C. and Arlington resident, former teacher, probably still teacher, probably always a teacher. And she was a driving force co-founder in the launch of Challenging Racism more than a dozen years ago. And, and somewhere in between all of that, she also managed to serve as the first elected member, I think, to the D.C. school board. Yes. Long before that, actually. Long before that. Yes. And Monique Brown, who is another Arlington resident, proud mother of two, a teenager and a toddler. I honestly don't know how you do that. And her volunteer efforts include working with youth through the Reading Connection, another great Arlington institution, and serving on the steering committee and as a facilitator for challenging racism. And in fact, I have the distinct pleasure of having her as one of my facilitators. So I feel like I'm in very good hands. Thank you both for joining me. I am so pleased to have you here. Thank you. Good to be here. It is definitely our pleasure. 
So, I mean, let's jump right in. Define for me what racism is. Uh, racism is, um, you know, behavior and points of view, uh, making judgments on uh, predetermined um, information about other people that's inaccurate based on stereotypes, um, based on unconscious socialization. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, a, it's a set of behaviors that give preference to one group over another. In this case, the preference in the United States is uh, for, to advantage white people over people of color. Right. And so why, why is that so hard to talk about? Well, I think it's hard to talk about because, um, first of all, there there are advantages uh, to the folks who have advantage in the society mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to not talk about a system that has advantaged them, you know. And uh, secondly, we've created an environment in which racism is like a third rail. Um, people have no practice talking about it because um, for a very long time uh, it's been a hard subject. And um, what you don't practice, you don't do. Yeah. So I definitely agree with Marty. I think one of the primary reasons that people have difficulties discussing racism is they don't want to appear racist. They're uncomfortable with some of their thoughts, whether there are preconceived notion that they've had, whether it's an idea that they've been taught by their parents or grandparents or in school. Uh, it, It makes you very vulnerable. It leaves you vulnerable. And it gives people a chance to place you in a certain box if your answers are misconstrued. Right. So what led you to want to have those conversations? So the reason that I took part in these conversations and made that choice is I knew that it would be vulnerable as a mother of two children and as an African-American. I have a responsibility. That really is the basis of it. I look at my parents, uh, people that grew up during civil rights. I look at my grandmother that's 88 that was definitely affected by segregation and by the treatment that she received in the 30s and the 40s. And I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to my children. I have a responsibility to my community. I have a responsibility to myself. At the end of the day, I want to say that I did the best that I could. Learning to teach our children of all colors how to interact with others, how to take ourselves out of our own space and be curious about what things they're going through. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. And for me, um, you know, I, I was raised in an environment that was very, um, we were involved in, my dad was at the March on Washington. Um, you know, I ran for the Board of Education in the District of Columbia when I was quite young and served on that, and that was a predominantly African-American board. But I didn't There's so many things about race that I didn't know, one of which was that I didn't know that I was white until rather recently. But my aha moment began really with teaching. I was teaching Mm -hmm. high school kids. I had particularly boys, but in high school classes, world history, who who commanded all the material intellectually but hadn't learned how to write. Mm -hmm. And they'd been in the school system since they were in kindergarten. And they didn't have any issues. You know, they had a good brain, ready to roll. But there were a lot of skills they had not learned. And that started my thinking about, so how could this happen? You know, in a system like this one, which has got plenty of resources, good staff. And that led me to understandings about um, not, not just racism in a personal sense, the use of stereotypes, 
but racism in an institutional and structural sense. And um, that, and structure means us. You know, we're the people who build these structures. So the community conversations and parent conversations, which grew out of this APS concern, uh, the public school system's concern about achievement gaps, that's where these conversations started. Yeah, yeah. I've taken the first class in challenging racism, and one of the things that you had us do was answer the question of sort of how we identify and why. Mm. And I have found that that question has stayed with me all week. Mm. Oh, interesting. Um, to think about, well, why, how do I, how do I know what I am? Yes. Um, how do, what's the story that I create for myself yes. around that? Um, and I thought, wow, you know, if in the first week they ask a pretty basic question like, <laughs> how do you identify and why? Um, I think, oh my goodness, this is going to be an amazing, an amazing course. And I think it comes back to your point about the systemic issues that those of us with white privilege don't realize how much this is. And to your point, Mo, these are conversations you're having with your son all the time. Why just you? I mean, why just you? Why not all of us? Definitely facilitating is a very unique skill set. And facilitating conversations on race uh, is even a bit more difficult, just again, based on the context of the conversation. Mm. Uh, Oftentimes have these conversations with some of my coworkers. I'm one of the few African-Americans in a small business, and they understand that while I create a safe space because I'm understanding, and I know that these may be their innermost views, what they've been taught, how they're raised, that while it may not seem as sometimes that they're making a racist statement, or while it may not seem as though they don't connect me as an African-American, what, what they see on television, um, it's hurtful. Right. It's hurtful right. because they don't see that as my fight. They don't see that as, well, that's not Mo. She doesn't behave like that. And so then we have to get into a conversation of media and what images are we seeing and what's presented to us? By the time this airs, we'll have a new president one way or the other. This is a big conversation in politics. This is a big conversation in how we uh, feel we are treated mm, and represented. Yeah. Oh, so important. And when we, when we allow ourselves to become curious, we can take it a step further. We can say, hey, well, tell me about your experiences. What I see on the news, how do you feel about that? Do you ever fear being pulled over? I mean, are you law-abiding? Yes, I'm law-abiding. Have I been pulled over and... Feared for my life? Yes. Why? Because what I see in the news is real. I know it. So that really speaks to why I have this course. So Marty, talk about the impetus for this. So um, um, the school system in the late 90s, really before uh, No Child Left Behind, um, began the process of disaggregating data by various groups, so ethnic groups, but also by special ed kids, by uh, class. Mm-hmm. And uh, immediately, of course, it becomes apparent that we have huge achievement gaps. And so the, the school board took this seriously and the superintendent, and they put into their strategic plan the idea of eliminating the achievement gaps. And um, part of that initiative was to begin conversations in the school system among employees. So Mm -hmm. there was a committee uh, created, uh, which Alvin Crawley um, chaired for quite some time and still is ongoing. And then 
one of the next steps was encouraging those of us who had done training in SEED, which is a national training, to do conversations with parents. And the goal of those conversations was really to build a community in which people were comfortable talking about race. The assumption being that if you want to change the variables that are producing these gaps, uh, community understanding of those variables and of what needs to happen for this to change and for these gaps to disappear was fundamental. Mm -hmm. Um, To have Mm -hmm. a community in which people were comfortable talking about race, hearing each other, Hearing differences um, was uh, one of those important foundational things to do. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a dozen or more years ago. That right? was 2000. The first conversation was 2004. 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, Mo, you flash forward a couple of years, you wandered in to one of these classes. Tell me about that experience. She did really wander in. I really <laughs> did wander in. I love that. I love that. So yes, I wandered into one of the conversations at Swanson Middle School a few years ago. I had signed up. I saw a video at the PTA meeting um, and back to school night. And I said, oh, well, I think I'm on the waiting list. I guess they just you just show up the day it starts. And so I, I showed up with my daughter t- attached in her baby Bajorn and walked in and was like, I'm here. And they said, oh, uh, well, we, we hadn't called you, but you're welcome to stay and, <laughs> and join the group. And I'm so thankful that I did. And I'm so thankful that I was invited to stay. Mm-hmm. It definitely has been a learning experience. It's been a pleasure working with my uh, co-steering committee members and watching the organization grow. We've been invited to speak at different locations, to put on these conversations throughout the community, and they are definitely needed. They are definitely appreciated. And seeing the enlightenment and the um, vulnerability that our community has in learning to understand each, each other and learning to really understand the social and the structural and institutional racism that sometimes applies to people's day-to-day and how it affects their mentality, their child-rearing, the decisions they make as they put forth each step. Um, it's it's really interesting to see. It's very interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. No, I can already tell it's going to get into my bloodstream. <laughs> so, so who participates? I mean, people can't just walk in anymore, right? I mean, no. No, well, we always have done registration, but of course... Um, um, and when we started out, really, we were we were persuading people to do this. Uh-huh. Um, and um, and as it's grown, and uh, three years ago, a group of parents from the Oak Ridge conversation said at the end of these conversations, well, we're not stopping here. Mm-hmm. What do you mean we're not having another mm-hmm. session? Mm-hmm. And so they took it upon themselves yeah. to, uh, um, to organize a group of alums who then started working on registration yeah. and they and it worked so then we had too many people and so there was a demand for groups and so now we are at 3 and the Arlington Public Schools has faithfully supported paying the facilitators and buying books and supporting us through copying mm-hmm. uh, ever since 2003 and um, parents have really been the engine of growth because they've been able to get the word out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's how this started and grew. So talk a little bit about kind of actually what it what consists do. of. And it's long, right? It is Explain a, it why. Is a, it is a commitment of time. Yeah. So the idea is that um, to build relationships, there's a lot of research about this at the foundation of communication across differences mm-hmm. has to do with building relationships that people fe- in which people feel they can be honest. Right. So these are groups where people... Um, they're, they're no larger than 16 with two facilitators, and 
the time really is a commitment to build a situation in which we know each other well enough Mm -hmm. to be able to say our deepest thoughts and politically incorrect ideas and um, be able to have uh, conversations in which we can agree to disagree. Then the other thing is is providing people in that environment a constant growth of materials, Mm -hmm. self-knowledge, the development of self-knowledge, the development of knowledge about the larger world of people of color and of white people. We have a race and we, and we need to learn to be comfortable talking about that. Uh, The conversations are built to contain a lot of information and activities uh, every night, but also to build this over time. Then the other thing is we try to Um, expand your focus so it's not just binary, it's not just black and white, which is the system in the United States, but the experiences of other people of color who fall into that system. They are either born here, immigrate here, but they have different kinds of cultural backgrounds, but in the United States, their experience of race is black and white. Uh, And we practice. The other big piece of this is skills. So that you came in maybe not being comfortable talking about race. You're practicing with this group where you develop safety, but you learn the skills so that you can go outside of that group Mm -hmm. in places that aren't safe. Mm -hmm. So our goal is that you leave us ready to take on the world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that really goes, Modi, to your point about, you know, coming in People are afraid to open their mouths one way or the other because it just feels so fraught. And so a lot of what you do is um, give people skills so that it's less dangerous for themselves, but also that they can create space for other people to have those conversations. There's a – it's not a – it's usually not a nice word, but there's a kind of contagion effect here, Mm -hmm. isn't there, where people can create space. Yes, one would hope. And also that you have this sense that you can get better at this. If you Mm -hmm. practice Mm – when people say something that really is racist or offensive in your family, at your work, wherever it happens, if your kids come home and say things that really upset you, you don't run. You say, gee, tell me more. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> gee, um, you know, help me out here. Um, or whatever your style is so that you um, are able to carry into your life conversations on race. Yeah. One of the things that really resonated to me actually relates to something that Scott Nickham said in a conversation we had um, for the show on leadership. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the origin of the word curious from the Latin cura to care. To care. And asking questions out of caring, which feels so much what this is driven by. And when I prepare for these shows, I'm always looking for who's who said something really good about this. And and I found something actually from Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, Adichie. Mm-hmm. who said, if you don't understand, ask questions. Mm-hmm. If you're uncomfortable about asking questions, say you're uncomfortable about asking questions and then ask anyway. Mm-hmm. It's easy to tell when a question is coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what a gift that is to people to understand that you can be ignorant, you can you can risk mm-hmm. going to a place you just don't even know how to go if you're going in the right spirit. So talk to me about how that shows up in the classes. So yes, anybody that's there that is willing to make that time commitment and the sacrifice from being away from their families or obligations – I obviously assume good intent. They're there for personal growth. They're there to strengthen the community and to really understand and be curious about the context of racism 
and mm-hmm. what it means to our community, how we can change it, how we can become better. Yeah. 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 I would say the other uh, big connection that I see here is that one of the learnings that you take away from you know, planning for difficult conversations, from working on listening skills, is that uh, a person or an institution, really, I think it's true of institutions, which are just made up of people also, who has a different point of view than you do, for mm-hmm. example, about mm-hmm. race, um, about stereotypes. One of their foundational needs is to be listened to, yep, to be recognized. Um, and then there's the possibility of their being open to your saying, have you thought about it this way? Or have you thought about how it sounds to me yeah. you know, as a person of color? Or have you thought about this perspective that I have as a white person? Um, and so listening and being truly curious about what that other person's perspective is, how they came to that point of view, um, you know, what life experiences might have led them there, is it, it's really what she's talking about, mm-hmm. that you arrive with... You assume good intent on their part, even if they're saying something that really, really is offensive to you. And you work toward understanding how they got there. And doesn't mean you'll always connect because right. there are people who, who aren't open enough. Right. But they can't be open to you if you don't listen. Yeah, It's not – that's what people need is the affirmation of having somebody listen to them. So I think that's one of the big connections to curiosity. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Well, Mo – I'm going to give you the last word here. What is it that you hope comes – well, last word before I make you do an analogy. Um, <laughs> what is it that you hope comes from these conversations? When I've listened to the story of my grandmother, of my parents, of my uncle, African-American, that served for his country, and even our stories, my own, my siblings, I want the stories and conversations of my children and their children to be vastly different. I want them to be recognized for their merit, for their worth. You know, it may be very cliche to hear Dr. King had a dream that his children be judged by the content of their character, but it is so apt today as it was yesterday. It resonates really with my soul that um, I make a difference for children. Mm, Wow. And, And thank you for that. You guys are off to a great start, I have to say, in that direction. So thank you. But before before I let you go, I warned you, we have this um, big jar of wannabe analogies here. So I invite you to kind of dip your hand in and take out a slip of paper. And you are going to make an analogy to whatever word is on that slip of paper. I'm going to do one, and I'm going to take one out for our audience as well. Um, somebody want to go, or you want me to go first? Oh, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they all say. Okay. Oh, dear. Um, Okay. Curiosity is like a race car. Um, Curiosity is like a race car because it can move very, very quickly, often at dangerous speeds. And and Marty, to your point, um, it can really become a high-performance vehicle if you build your skills with it Mm. and, um, and can take you some amazing breathtaking places. Okay, who who's, wants to go next? <laughs> that was pretty impressive. That was pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. This is a hard act to follow. So, okay, mine is birthdays. Oh. And um, I think birthdays um, are like... Uh, birthdays are like... 
New Year's Day because they are always about beginning. Uh, yeah. Beginning the new year, beginning whatever you envision. Mm -hmm. And they're also like the 4th of July because birthdays are parties and affirmation and if not fireworks, whatever you choose for your birthday to be the kaboom, the big thing. <laughs> lovely, lovely. How about you, Mo? What have you got? Okay, so I have eating cake. Curiosity is similar to eating cake. Definitely, after you take that first sweet bite, you want to go a little deeper. You want to know more. You want to taste more. You want to you want to sate your appetite. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that you've gotten all of your cake eaten, and you want to make sure that you've gotten your curiosity filled. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Oh, nice. You want to oh, that's great. That's great. And audience, I have one for you. Never fear. How is curiosity like a zipper? I don't know. Let us know. Hashtag analogy. So thank you both for this. Um, time races on these, and this one feels like it particularly did. And Mo, I can't wait to see you in class. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. Take a moment to check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Choose to be curious. And don't forget to send us your zipper analogy, hashtag analogy. If you want more information about challenging racism, you can find them online at challengingracism.org. Special thanks to Marty Swaim and Monique Brown for today's conversation and all the conversations they enable. And a shout out to those of you that allowed me to stop you in Clarendon. Thanks for choosing to be curious. I hope you'll join us next week where we're going to shift gears a little bit. And WERA's own Jesse Robinson is going to join me for a conversation about curiosity and improv. And until then, choose to be curious.